0: You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. We're in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 4. We've been in the book of Ephesians the last three weeks. And this one's actually going to take us, um, a cu- this chapter is going to take a couple of weeks to get through. As it kind of, um, well, let me cover what we've covered so far. And I'd encourage you, if you haven't um, listened, there's podcasts, we can get your CDs to have a listen and backtrack this series. Um, all about being the church, but so far we've covered this idea that there's this big universe plan going on. From the beginning, from the moment man rejected God, God had plans to bring him back, to to reconcile him back to the Creator, back to his purpose. And so Paul outlines God's restoring and reconciling plan. Then we covered things that Kill the church, basically, before it even gets started. I'll give you a hint. If you weren't there, it's pride. Pride creeps in before the church even gets started. And then there was a call to be captivated by Jesus in all areas. So that's the three things that we've covered so far. This kind of unites with Paul talking about a household at the end of chapter 3. And just to remind us of our kind of vision here as a church is around that. Our vision is a unifying, inviting, restoring, ever-growing family table that has Jesus Christ at its centre. We want to look like that household for Christ. And so the call there so far, to catch us all up if you haven't been here, is there's so much more for God to do in us. So much more he wants for us if we're willing to dig deeper into him. If we're willing to dig deeper in, there's so much more. There's a, a greater vision that God has for us. Exactly what Ray was talking about during communion, if we want to lean into, not just, thanks, God. We can do that as well, but also go, thanks, God. What do you have for me? Where you've, He's empowered us towards a vision. And so he says in the verse that just was read by Jess, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In today's language, that might be: I want you to step up, <laughs> church. I want you to step up. Here's what I've been doing before you were thousands of years before you were born. Here's what I've been doing through creation. Here's where I've brought you back to the Father. Now it's time to step up into that calling. Not so I love you more. I've already proven my love. He says. Not because you can earn more points in heaven. You're already in. But because of what I've done, I ask you to step up. And so that's what we're going to look like, what it looks like to dig deeper and step up over the next few weeks. So on this one, I've got the next few weeks. We're going to look at we gather in deep community, we grow in deep community, and we go in deep community. And then in Ephesians 5, it even gets more personal because it talks about marriages, it talks about running our individual families, has a bit about slaves in there. So it gets even a little bit more personal as we hit Ephesians 5. So it's to I'm excited for the next few weeks. And please be praying that God challenges and encourages us through his word towards Easter. How crazy is that? I just said Easter. But it's not that crazy because it's coming. I mean, the Easter eggs were out on Boxing Day. So not that fast, but Easter's coming. So question for today. What does it look like to gather in deep community? I'll say it again. We're operating on half the screens today. What does it look like to gather in deep community? Let me read again just that first part that just started us off and as we take, go through the start of Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of the, your, of the calling to which you've been called. Step up, church. That's what he's saying. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to. The one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. There's one word that gets repeated there. Anyone want to guess that one word that said a lot? Yep, you picked up on it. One. (laughs) There's this one word he says a lot. One. He must be trying to tell us something. And it's this. That there is a call to be the church. To be one together. One community. Share one hope. One faith. One mission. All different lives, but to come together as one community. That's pretty much the message this morning. Except for, I could stop there, except for, as we've discussed the last few weeks, that's actually really hard. (laughs) Like really, really hard. And most of my sermons are convincing you, reminding you how hard it is, because we want to know the enemy, right? We want to know what we're up against. Because I believe the moment you step out of here, for the next six days, if you, unless you wear headphones and you sit in a black, dark room with the door shut, every message coming out of our world has a different one. And that one being ourselves. The radio, the TV, the newspaper, every message is telling you there's one person that's important and it's you, number one. The idea of community, deep community, is actually really foreign in today's context. Your worldview, your opinion, your empire, your status, your dream, your vision, your comfort, your wants, your desires. And it's not just, it it hasn't left, it hasn't, the church hasn't been protected from this. We've actually adopted, when I say church, by the way, I'm talking wider than this church. Every church has adopted this language. We say it here. How's this? I just don't go to church is the language. Firstly, no one's ever gone to church, ever. According to the Bible, we are the church. It's a small difference, but you can see the language has even entered our church. I don't attend that church. No, of course you don't, because the church is a body. That's like the arm saying, I didn't attend body today. (laughs) You are the church. You are the body. Thank you for that laugh. That was meant to be funny. Thank you, John. That's what elders are for. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Firstly, we don't go to church. You are the church. And I'm really sorry if you've heard um, that, you can, um, that being a church, being part of a church and being a Christian is something that can be separated not my words, but Paul literally says to dig deep community, to have a deep faith in Christ is actually a collective. There's actually a community involved with that. The ecclesia, the called out, the church. It was God's big plan. I'm not heartless to the fact, and we know this, that 99% of the people that say, I don't attend church, but I love Jesus, it's because I hurt. So I'm not... Just cavalierly saying, D- get over it. No, not at all. Churches can be really painful, can be really hard, can be really difficult. Um, I get that. So I'm not just saying, if you've been hurt by church, if you've been hurt by a pastor, if you've been hurt by a leader, really, I'm not saying that cavalier, but it's, it's still hard, but it's still our calling. And that's why I love the language Paul uses. Listen to this. He says, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another. If I went out for an ice cream today after church, I don't bear with the ice cream. That's strong language. If I go on date night with my wife, hopefully I'm not just bearing with her. Hopefully. If I go hang with friends, I'm not, oh, I better bear with them. Paul is saying, in that word alone, this is tough, bear with them. Some days there's good days, some days you just got to bear with them with humility and gentleness, bear with each other. Paul knows it's hard, doesn't change the fact that it's our calling as a church. This is the reality, and we talked about this last week. This is what it looks like to dig deeper. You dig deeper, it's dirty, it's hard work. You're breaking tough ground. You're ploughing ground. Sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's hard. Digging is hard. Bearing with each other is work. But it's good work. It's holy work. And as Paul keeps telling us, it means we get to be part of God's big plan. And so we are called to commit to each other. Let me say that again. We are called to commit to each other. Say it one more time. If I could summarise this whole chapter, this whole book even, we are called to to commit to the person beside you. You're called to commit to the person across the room. That's the calling. That's God and each other. That's the start of the church. There's more to the church than that. That's the basis. That's the start. I want you to understand, even at the risk of banging on too much about this, I want you to understand, though, seconds after church finishing today, you'll be met with a different message. And the reason I keep going on about this is because if you don't know the enemy, how can you ignore it? How can you resist it? And how can you know what to pray for? If we don't know how the enemy 10 seconds after walking out of here is going to take this message and turn it around to go, yeah, there is number one and it's you, then how on earth do we combat that? How do we pray about that? How do we move Further, deeper, wider, higher than that. Amen. So, so, I want to use this example, this cultural example. I was um, click baited, they call it, this week. And if you haven't heard that expression, it's when you're on the internet and you see an article that says, Man found a hidden attic in his house. You'll never guess what he found. Click here. Now you're in the middle of sermon prep, you've you're, you're, you're got to do some work, you've got stuff to do, but what was in the attic? I need to know. And then after you've clicked on about seven different stories, attics, boxes, hidden treasure in the backyard, and so it's called clickbait because it's bait. And so this one came up, why is dating so hard for millennials? Now I like to pretend I'm a millennial, I don't like to pretend I'm d- dating, I'm well and truly married, but it did get me, I was like, that's, I'm curious. And so I went down that rabbit hole and clicked on the 10 reasons they said today's generation, it's hard to date. And what I read gives me the perfect example of why being the church is hard for all generations, but is so foreign in the community right now. Let me read some of the reasons they said. And then as you're thinking through these reasons, think about your church experience and think about how that correlates. Let me me start. So... This article gave me 11 reasons why dating is hard for millennials. It said, number one, people ghosting. That um, I understand that because I'm young and hip. I had to look that up. So, um, But ghosting means they don't end relationships anymore. They just disappear like a ghost. There's something to be said about church in that there's no commitment oh, i'm not leaving for this reason I'm not going to go speak to the part like, ooh, just disappear ghosting a hyper focus on sex and i'm going to widen that there's a hyper focus on the experience a hyper focus on every single date or every single sunday let's use it in our context needs to be amazing Unless, oh, um, it's done. You're dumped. Oh, ghost. woo I can There's correlation with what I've seen in churches right here. Competition, who can care the least? It's like you want to sort of be cool enough that you kind of half care. Our responses are too strategic, saying that because people use profiles now, because people talk online, they can edit themselves churches we all know at times that we have our sunday best which is good for god to honor god i'm not saying that but a flip side of that is if we're pretending how do we dig deeper if we're hurting but we're standing in there pretending to be happy how does god enter that how do relationships form when everyone's photoshopping their profile pic how can churches grow deeper if we're all pretending to be awesome every single day God doesn't want to deal with awesome. God didn't die for awesome. Didn't say while you were still all awesome, Christ died for you. While well, sinners, broken, let him in. We expect a perfection that doesn't exist. Um, we're overloaded with options. We talked about that last week. 250 churches on the coast, by the way, talk about options. Someone says something, I don't like it, Someone challenged me a bit deeper. Ooh, I'll ghost out, goes back into number 249. We're always stuck in the grey area. We've become content on being alone um, and we've distanced ourselves from being accountable to the pain we inflict on others. That's a big one. We hurt someone, it doesn't matter because I can just disappear. Paul says it does matter. Paul says bear with one another. Paul says work it out if you can. And we're all jaded. And I'm going to be honest, with 8% of our population left in churches, we're all jaded a bit. We've all got a story. Maybe you don't, and that's awesome. We've all got one story of one person that said something to us in church, and it's jaded us a bit. We're all a bit jaded. Interesting article. Silly article about millennials, but speaks to what you're up against the moment you walk out of here. So I stand as a pastor in 2020 in the face of all of that and I dare say what Paul said, that the basis of church is commitment to God and each other. The reality is that message, although you might be like, that's a simple message, Steve, that couldn't be more opposed in 2020. That couldn't be a more counterculture in 2020. In fact, I would dare say... It's almost impossible. Or is it impossible? Is the bride of Christ being too jaded, too watered down at times? And again, not just Burley. Please don't hear me attacking this church. Let me talk about the Western way of doing church. Is it being too watered down? Are we too hurt? Is it impossible for us to stop thinking about number one because that's the message of our world and think about number one? Is it impossible? And that's where I'll finish this. No, I'm not going to finish the sermon there. What a horrible way. Of course, it's not impossible. I'll tell you why it's not impossible. Because there's this glimmer of light that Paul talks about. This saving grace, or Paul's grace, or just grace. Paul gives us his example. Let me read this. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far and above all the heavens. And that he might fill all things, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain. A unity of faith and of knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. If we have Christ as our head, as our number one center, as our number one commitment, a God who gives us an example. God didn't leave us. God didn't ghost us. God could have went. Do you know what? They are really difficult. Ooh, ghost out, new universe created. This time I won't give him a choice. He could have done that. We wouldn't know. But he didn't leave us. He didn't stop our choice. He actually bared with us. He bared with us more than that. He came and bared the cross for you to make a way back to the Father to make it possible for his kids to get on, to bear with one another for the sake of the mission, for the sake of Christ. It says, one hope that belongs to your call, it says in Ephesians 4.4. 4, as if to say, you step up to the calling, God's going to meet you there. That hope is already waiting for you there. He wants to bring us together, to commit to us, commit to each other. When I was um, 17, this is the image I get. When I was 17, um, I got my license, and I didn't have to go down early. I had to work, so I went. My parents went camping at Brunswick Heads, Massey Green Caravan Park. And at 17, got my license. I drove up, um, and Dad knew. Dad had organised it um, for most of the kids to come. All the kids had come up, so we had dinner up at Brunswick Heads by the river there, and. Um, you don't know, my dad comes occasionally. Um, one of the most patient men I know. Um, barely seen him. Could count, four, probably four times I've ever seen him actually angry. And that was mostly three of them, were probably me. Um, like, that's, I'm, yeah, serious. That's not the joke part, unfortunately. Yeah, it could be difficult at times. Um, you're meant to say, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, I know, hard to believe. Um, no, no, sorry. So we go up to dinner... Um, and my brother and me, very different, love each other, but we got in a bit of an argument over dinner and someone punched someone else just in the arm, dead arm, said, sort of, stop it. And one of, uh, yeah, one of us retaliated and just this little argument and, and Dad gets up and he just, this is one of the four times and he stormed off. Never does that. And to this, to, up until recently let's say up until about six years ago, how old are you? I didn't get it. I was like, cool, come on, Dad. We drove down. We're just, it's just dinner. Me and Jace will get over it. And now I look back. And now I plan a dinner with my girls and Noah. And they can't get on. We go to a park. We go to the shopping centre yesterday just to have a coffee and a donut and get them a donut as well. And they just can't get on. They're fighting. And I think just for one second... Just get on. And then I remember back, suddenly these memories come back, and there happened to be, dad had prepared these steaks that night. He prepared a special dinner. I didn't realise that. He goes, My family's together. And his stupid boys, I won't call Jay stupid because that's what got me in trouble in the first place. (laughs) His stupid, selfish son couldn't sit at the damn dinner table without fighting. Christ has invited you to the table. There's a big, big plan for reconciliation. Reconciliation to the entire, bringing all things to his glory. And he, his invention, we may even call it silly because man's foolish, God's wisdom, sometimes we don't understand, <laughs> to use us, to use his church, to use his family. So much more he has for us Wouldn't it be a shame if we can't even get past the bearing together? Wouldn't it be a shame for the father who's prepared a meal that we couldn't get on? That's only the beginning of what he has for us. And I'm not necessarily even aiming at this church. This church, I look across at the ages, we're having a fair crack at the bearing together. It's not an attack on us, just something to reflect on. Wouldn't it be a shame if, like teenagers, our own selfishness, our own one, 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 instead of the one, got in the way of what God wanted to do? He's inviting us to commit to the Father and then commit to each other. Our first step towards a deeper community is that, not to commit to a service Not to commit to a thing, a style, a person. Don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) As in a person, a leader, a pastor. Don't. That's not what we're asking. We're asking to commit to each other. Now... There's a whole fivefold gifting thing there about prophets, evangelists, teachers. We're going to go back over that next week. So we're going to get there. That's too big to just skip over, but it's not the time and the place this morning to uncover that. But needless to say, one of the things God has given us so that we can get on, that we can extend the mission and extend the kingdom, is giftings. That's oversimplifying it, but that's that part. There's evangelists, there's people that have a heart to move the gospel forward into the darkness. There's teachers, there's apostles, there's prophets. We all have a gifting. We're all created differently. So there is an individualistic part, but it's so we can come together as one. So I want to tell some stories as I finish up this morning. Because as I think about it, how do you get practical with this? I don't, I don't know, actually. What do I do now? I tell you to commit to each other. How do we... What do I do? Just. I, I actually got to this point in the sermon and goes... Thanks, I'm there, but I don't know what to do at this point. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you some stories. And you're going to go, that's a story about someone here. And it's not, it's just a really common story in every single church. And I'm not even going to tell you the answer of the story, somewhat like a parable. I want you to take these stories and take them home and reflect on what you think Paul says verse this story. So let me say it again. If I say something and you go, that sounds like me, is he talking about me? No, I'm talking about 60 different people. Let me tell a story and you'll get what I'm saying. What does it look like to commit to God and each other? Let me tell you a story. Got this friend and on weekdays they hang with, let's say, Church A. They go camping with friends on Church A. When they meet together and they go through hard parts of their life, they hang with Church A. They're married and his wife connects a lot with other ladies from Church A. On Sunday, (laughs) you find them on Church B. And if you were to ask him, what does he think? He says, well, I just really love the worship. So that's my church. Again, no answer. Is that what Paul's saying? Is that what Paul's saying the church is? Is Paul saying, wherever you attend and like the style of between 9 to 11, that's the church? Or is there something else to be said there? Again, no answer. Just something to think about. If you go, that's me. Is he talking about me? No, I'm talking about like 7 million people and whatever. There's a lot of people that fit that category. But is that what church is? Is it the experience Sunday morning? Or is it something else deeper? I'll leave that with you. Another story. Another friend who left her church because insert reason. She disagrees with a fellow church member. Uh, even worse, the pastor said something she disagreed with. She's happy now because she's in a church for the last two weeks <laughs> where no one disagrees with her. Is that what Paul is saying? Churches. Is? is that what church is? Don't answer. Just have a think, is that what church is? Or does it look a little bit different to that? Again, not knocking anyone. Another friend. I don't have too many friends, so just, it's all right. (laughs) Another friend. Hates it when when the pastor does that thing where they go, turn around and say hello to the person behind you. (laughs) because <laughs> oh, I have to talk to someone and he hates it even more if it's a short message because we end up in oh, fellowshipping he says I only come for the Bible and he runs as fast as he can to get out of the church okay is that what Paul says it is is that what Paul says it is is it just about a few things that you like or is there something deeper there Two more. And I deliberately made this more deliberate because I think very highly of this young man and I deliberately just wanted to play around with the fact that you'd think you know who it is. So this young man went for a surf. <laughs> it's not you, Josh, you're a good man. And he, <laughs> So this young man does two different things. He slept in and the surf was pumping. And because he's not religious, it's a relationship, He didn't go to church that day. Free spirit, jazz maverick, didn't go to church. But his mate was there looking for him and he was just hoping there would be some encouragement there. His mate came to church to connect with him. He didn't care about anything else. And I guess I want to push that further. What if when you miss church, and it's okay to miss church. I'm not saying that. That's not the point of this sermon. Don't hear that. But what if... There are people that miss you. What if there are people that just your smile, your hello is the thing they're waiting for. They're, they're waiting, they're committed to you. Suddenly, puts a deeper weight to the fact of, I just slept in or I don't feel like it today or I don't really like that part of that. Oh, they've got that preacher rosted on. Oh yeah, all right, I'll sleep in today. <laughs> Maybe it's more than that. And then my last one young man in a different parallel universe or young man in a different scenario, he's committed to setting up church chairs every Sunday. He's band practised 16 nights of the week. Uh, He runs a small group on Tuesday and Fridays and he has, the pastors cleverly called it vacuum ministry, which is just a clever way to get him to vacuum the church Saturday afternoon at the church. One time he fell asleep on the pew, so he gets up and he was stoked because he got... To get up early Sunday morning at church and get to setting up chairs. And his friend gives him a call and says, i got two tickets to the footy on Sunday morning. Do you want to come? And he says, no, I can't. i got church. And he says, oh, do you want to come out Tuesday to Thursday? He goes, no, I've got small group ministry. And he goes, I'd really like to see you. Will you see me Saturday night? He goes, oh, I've got vacuum ministry. And so he never actually connects to the friend ever never actually gets to see him never actually gets to show the love of Christ to him because he's so caught up with doing things in the church again not bad not wrong is that what Paul has asked us to do is it a commitment to things i appreciate everything everyone does here and we need the church to do things to run but is it about individuals just doing it all or is it a commitment to each other consider these stories That's all I'm asking. Consider, go away and pray about it and consider where you sit and what the church commitment means to you. And if we can get that, if we can bear with one another on the bad days and rejoice in the good days, my goodness, there's some exciting things described here in the word about what the church can be and has been. Prayer, consider, act. Let me pray for us. And for Christ to stir in our reflections this week. Father, it's an abstract idea, it's a countercultural idea. The enemy will meet us, it feels like, at the door on our way out this morning as he wants to tell us the original lie. <laughs> Is that what God really said? He said to Adam and Eve in the garden, Father. The second lie you could be like God. You could be number one. Father, I pray about protection from that today as we leave the church. I pray that we don't hear that message from the world, Lord. Rather, we hear a counter message which says we can dig deep relationships with each other through Christ. We can wrestle and disagree at times and have tough conversations and break bondage and see this world reconciled through your invention that is the church representing Jesus. And so, Father, I just pray you challenge us this week as we move forward as a church about what it looks like to commit to the person on the other side of the room. Speak to us clearly. Give us clear action. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, team.